This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Budabaker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealoux, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. In the words of Zach Paschal, it all starts now. Of course, he was not referring to the Cardinals' Red Sea reports. Welcome to the show. He was talking about the start of OTAs, organized team activities. It is voluntary, so that means, well, we did not see Paul Calvisi or Kyle Vandenbosch out there during the open portion of practice. But I'll say this, well attended by just about every single Arizona Cardinals player. And with that, yes, it does all start now because KVB, I know this is an important offseason for a lot of players, a lot of new faces, not a lot of returning faces with a brand new coaching staff, but you've been very adamant about the importance of offseason work in phase three when you've got to go offense versus defense. That's when the work really starts. Yeah, I think it's vital. Um, you know, if you're waiting as a team to put in – your playbook to assess players um, to start to get into some sort of game plan. If you're waiting till training camp, it's too late and you're behind. Um, look, the NFL, um, you know, not only we we've seen it the last couple of months. It's not only a year-round calendar for GMs for coaches. Um, it's it's year-round for players. Like you have to work at your craft, and you you need to at this point to start moving forward to take that next step you need to work at your craft with your teammates and with a scheme in mind and with the techniques that your coaches want you to use in order to start making progress and you don't want to show up with a blank slate at training camp you want to have a lot of it in place you want to have a lot of your install done and you want to pick up from there i'll say this paul there's been good attendance this entire offseason even going back to that voluntary veteran minicamp leading into the draft because as a first-time first-year head coach you get that extra week's worth of work and there are a lot of football players on that field you might have a contract but you don't have equity built up with this coaching staff so it might be voluntary in name only in reality uh, yes, it's in your best interest to be out there making an impression. And as Jonathan Gannon himself said, and it might be the mantra you start with this offseason, quote, everything is a competition. So there were takeaways. I was carrying the Cardinals color analyst through his own four-hour radio show, so I didn't see it. I live vicariously through your reports and uh, talking to other people. But there were certainly significant developments like, oh, Cole McCoy throwing a football for the first time, right? Isaiah Simmons working with the DBs. That was another big takeaway. And Zayvon Collins still with the edge rushers. I'm not quite ready to put him in that position group, but we will talk about the outside linebackers as we move on here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. We bring up Jonathan Gannon. Let's hear from JG on what they got out of that first practice of OTAs. 
technique and fundamentals and finally some decisions and actions. So uh, get to line up against each other and play some football. So good to compete a little bit, get on the grass, go offense versus defense, special teams. But um, I liked how he worked. We've heard him talk about talking about Gannon and Paul about, well, let's wait until we get them on the grass. Well, now they are on the grass, and I think we'll get a little bit more of an idea of what the offense might look like, the defense might look like, and the players involved on both sides of the line of scrimmage. You know, we talked to DJ Humphreys yesterday. We talked with uh, um, with other players, and they just talked about how the run game is going to be emphasized with the offense, the straight-ahead run game. So I think that has everyone's attention, right? And look, I think the challenge with any new coaching staff is can the Cardinals come week one of Washington play fast? It's a brand new scheme. Can they come out there? Can they be decisive? Can they be instinctive? Can they get out? And I think if you read between the lines a lot of the offseason comments, I think this coaching staff is going to make a concerted effort to streamline things. Maybe there's a little too much on the play to some of your young linebackers, for example, last year. Maybe there was some a little too much on the play to your quarterback last year, especially minus Rodney Hudson most of the year. So can you streamline things to make things a little more simple yet still have a complex look to the opposition and keep them guessing. For example, if indeed the Cardinals quarterback's contingent, if they're under center a lot more, you know the offensive linemen are already talking about how that's to their advantage because it keeps the defensive linemen on their heels a little bit more. Well, how much of that playbook has been installed? Here's the head coach, Jonathan Gannon. Pretty close to being done. Yeah, we, uh, we give them a lot, and um, there's a natural teaching progression to all that. And uh, we like to hit it two, three, four times before we got to line up and play week one. I'm excited uh, that we do have a lot in, and uh, we just got to coach up the details. You like that, Kyle, where you're giving it all at once as opposed to, and I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way, but here's everything we've got, or all right, this week we're going to do this, next week we're going to do that, and then at the end you bring it all together. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, you know, let's let's see how much these players can absorb. Let's see how much um, how well they can pick it up. Let's see what works. If we're going to experiment, uh, let's experiment now with players in different positions, with different techniques, with different fronts, different alignments on the defense, with the run game. What runs does this line like? How well do they work together? What combination blocks can they do? Um, what routes do the quarterbacks like? Let's just put it all out there get as many reps as possible and see how it goes. Look, you know, the great things and the reason to me OTAs are so important, there's one thing, well, there's several things about football that will never change. And one of them is you've got to have reps. You've got to practice them. You can't just draw stuff up on a board and say, this is what we're going to do and let's see if it works on Sunday because nine times out of ten that's not going to work. You're going to have busts. You know, the great thing, again, about football is 11 guys have to do their jobs, and in order to do that, you have to rep it over and over and over until it's impossible to make a mistake, not rep it until they get it right, rep it until you don't get it wrong. And starting to get those reps on the field, on the grass right now, it's going to pay off in the fall. Now there are two types of reps. There's the mental reps and the physical reps. Yeah, physical when you're doing it, going through the motions much better but if you can't physically you're not able to Kyler Murray for example the mental reps that he is getting because he was spotted during the open portion of OTAs which I think is wonderful one he's here two he's out there going through it in his head and also maybe offering some advice 
to the rest of his teammates. Yeah, when you're unable to get those physical reps, you've got to do exactly what Kyler Murray is doing. He is, you know, he can take walk-through reps. He can sit in the meetings and see how other players are doing it. He can stand behind the offense and envisioning envision himself doing or running the plays. Um, think about how what decisions he would make, try to make them in real time as he's watching, and, and those are valuable as well. I mean, look, it's again, there's nothing quite like being on the field getting the reps yourselves, but you know your your brain is is amazing, and if you mentally take a rep and you have the ability to put yourself in there and you are actively invested in practice, which is hard to do. Look, I've suffered in as many injuries as anybody and sat out as many practices as anybody, but to stay engaged, stay involved when you're not out there, it's a difficult thing to do, and it's great to see Kyler Murray out there because they're going to need him not only on the field, they're going to need his leadership, and it's, it would be extremely difficult for him to – not be out there, not be there with his team, not taking the mental reps, and to all of a sudden step in and say, hey, this is my team. What happens when you're a third-string quarterback in the NFL, especially during a game week? You get zero reps, right? That's basically Kyler's life right now. He's not accustomed to being a third-string quarterback. Once upon a time, he was Baker Mayfield's backup at Oklahoma when Bake won the Heisman, but he was running the scout team with Hollywood Brown, getting plenty of reps. So essentially, Kyler Murray, because of the injury, is living life as a third-string quarterback during a game week. You're going to live vicariously through the other guy's reps, and mentally you have to envision it, stand behind the play, and, and, and tell yourself, okay, I would go here with it based on this coverage, based on the defense doing this, I'd do that. And that's where Kyler's going to have to be mentally sharp. Also stand very close to the offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing, which is what Kyler was doing a lot on Monday. Now, not getting either physical or mental reps within the building. Buda Baker and DeAndre Hopkins not in attendance. Jonathan Gannon on Baker. Buda will show up when, when he wants to show up, you know, and um, he's been awesome. He kind of wears us out a little bit with the tape and different things like that, but he's working. He'll get himself ready to play. No concern for me on Buda Baker and whether or not he'll be ready to go mandatory minicamp, training camp week one. DeAndre Hopkins, his future. While we know that he is in Toronto, he made that clear appearing on the I Am Athlete podcast on Monday. Not in attendance. Gannon on number 10. Yeah, I'm not worried about Hop. He's played a long time, and um, he's extremely intelligent. And uh, I think he'll fit right in when he decides to come. But, again, it's you know it's voluntary. So um, that's his decision, and, and we're behind it. Outside of those two players, Kyle, there was darn near perfect attendance, at least by my count. There might have been a couple of veterans not here or at least not seen. Maybe they were inside working out, rehabbing. But that's a good sign when you have a first-year head coach, a brand-new coaching staff. Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, look, again, to me, it's it, when you have a team – and you, you're trying to find who your leaders are. In order to have a voice, in order to be a leader, you have to have some sweat equity. You have to be out there. You can't just stroll in week one for the game and get in someone's face and grab their face mask and say you're running the wrong route, so your, your, your footwork is terrible, you're not using your hands the right way, because that player will look at you and be like, hey, I was here. I was doing my stuff. Where were you? So your voice doesn't matter. And I, I look, I agree with you. I agree with your assertion. I don't worry about Buda Baker. He will be ready. DeAndre Hopkins physically will be ready for training camp, regardless of when either one of them come back. However, what you're missing is how they lift up the team. And, and 
just again, Buda Baker is the ultimate example of what you're looking for in an Arizona Cardinal. And these young players coming in, these second-year players that were here last year, they're missing that voice. They're missing that example. They're missing the guy out there who does everything the right way, the guy that you can point to regardless of if it's an OTA, training camp, a, a Thursday practice in week 16, you can always point to Buda Baker and say, do what he does. Prepare like he prepares. You know, you, I, I think that, you know, Buda Baker, again, he knows how to take care of his body. He knows what it takes for him. But for the team to get better, you need your leaders, and your leaders have to be there and set the example, and your leaders have to be the hardest workers on your team. I know D-Hop said on the podcast with Brandon Marshall yesterday that it makes sense for a guy at his point in his career to work with those who know his body best and the trainers and all that. There's just one problem with that. You've got a new head coach. You've got a new OC. You've got a new scheme. You've got new verbiage. So obviously there's a lot of benefit to being there at OTA. So with that being the case, I think we all expect Buda Baker to be part of the 2023 Arizona Cardinals with D-Hop. Not so much. I think we'd all be surprised if come week one at Washington, he's out there on that field. We'll see. I think it's a waiting game, and they're trying to find the best fit and the best value, and and other teams perhaps might be waiting out the Cardinals, trying to force their hand because the contract is an issue as well. So we'll see. We'll see exactly where this is tracking. But until then, I don't expect to see DeAndre Hopkins around the Cardinals. He might be under contract, but I don't think he will be in that locker room anytime soon. Paul, I'm still surprised that he's still on the roster here this late into May. I fully expected something to get done leading into the draft. And here we are with the possibility and likelihood that D-Hop, whether or not he appears in minicamp, might be showing up to training camp. And if that's what it takes to maybe get a team to act, who knows? Uh, Wolf and I kicked it around that, you know what, when it came right down to it, the Raiders with Rodney Hudson, let it be known that he was going to be cut. And then instead of him hitting the open market, the Cardinals stepped in and gave the Raiders a third-round pick because they wanted him. They didn't want any competition. Maybe that's a similar strategy with D-Hop. We'll see. This is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Craig Rio, Lukav Anabosh, and Paul Calvisi. When we come back, the offensive line. DJ Humphreys, we hear from him. That's next here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Boy, what a good job at the point of attack right there. It seemed like DJ Humphreys got a nice block. Huge hole. Great job by DJ Humphreys at the point. Who has that look in their eye of no back down? You know, that's the that's the part I think I'm looking forward to most. When that fight or flight comes, who's going to swing and who's going to run? You know what I mean? I want a bunch of swingers. So I'm interested. That sounded weird. I'm sorry. That was, that was strange. That was so strange. I, I, want, I want a bunch of fighters. I should have said, I want a bunch of fighters. Um, so... <laughs> like I said, though, that, that's the part I'm looking forward to most, not the swinging part. That was, that was a little strange. I'm sorry, guys. We bleeped that out. <laughs> we knew what you meant, DJ. As we say, welcome back here. The Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. DJ Humphreys, good to hear his voice from a year ago. Good to hear his voice on Monday with Paul and Wolf on 98.7 FM. Part of Wolf and Luke, we have not heard much from DJ Humphreys in a long time, Paul, but just to hear him on the air and that infectious personality and then on the field, 
just a well, he is. He is your franchise left tackle. Well, I told him already, Paris Johnson Jr. reminds me of DJ Umbries, the personality. Big personality, big smile, really uh, infectious with the energy, right? Effervescent type of guy. And then all of a sudden, at least the way Paris Johnson describes himself on game day, he's a totally different individual. Kyle Vandenbosch might know something about that, about getting himself into a frenzy on, on a <laughs> Sunday. Right, Kyle? I mean, they, that, there's sort of that, I don't know, at what point you flip the switch. For Paris Johnson Jr., he did this whole explanation. It's like a 24-hour process. But DJ Humphreys, man, the moment he just walks out on that Cardinal sideline, he's a different dude. And he becomes that football player that, uh, guess what, is one of the highest compensated players on this roster. Yeah, he, he exemplifies what Jonathan Gannon was talking about his introductory, introductory press conference. Excuse me. he's a player that loves coming into the building. He loves coming to work. He loves being on the practice field. He loves the camaraderie. I mean, you can just see him holding court with the offensive line. You saw it on hard knocks. Like he, he is that leader and he's people follow him because of the way he carries himself because of his charisma and how much he loves this game and how much he loves just being out there on the football field. And that not only serves him well, but again, it serves the entire unit well. Because, you know, I've been around players, particularly offensive linemen. They oftentimes hate practice. They hate meetings. They hate just about everything about the game. They love Sundays. And that's a difficult life in the NFL when you don't enjoy the process. And he loves and enjoys the process. And just as importantly, enjoys and loves his teammates. Not quite ready to be a part of that process on the field. D.J. Humphreys was spotted working on the side. The good news is, as he told you, Paul, on the Wolf and Luke show, that he is getting better. Just about done from rehabbing his back. Did not need surgery after missing nine games last year with that back injury. So that is good news for him moving forward. More good news, Humphreys on his first meeting with offensive coordinator Drew Petzing. Me and Drew became friends the first day we met. Because the first thing he said to me was, I'm going to tell you now, we're going to run the ball a lot more than you did before. I said, man, you don't have to tell me anything else, bro. I'm not the guy that you need to, like, tell the offense to. I'm not that guy, bro. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to block the end, let you guys play 10 versus 10. I really appreciate you telling me that we're just going to run the ball more. Everything else, coach, don't even waste your breath, bro. Can it really be that simple? Because every time you hear DJ Humphreys talk about his job as a left tackle, it just boils down to block the end. I used to study offensive tackles for a living, Kyle. So you tell me, I mean, for everything that we see on a board, the entire playbook, all the X's and O's, for DJ Humphreys, the left tackle, does it really just boil down to blocking the end every single play? It's it's He makes it sound simpler than it is. And, I mean, it's you don't always, your responsibility, your job isn't always to block the end. You might combo on the three technique. You might do a full block. You might have to squeeze. Um, but if – that end is the guy that 31 teams are seeking to wreck your game plan, to hit your quarterback, to get the sacks. I mean, he's the guy going against the premier pass rushers, right? So if that is his only job is to make it 10 versus 10, the one he's eliminating is typically the best, the highest paid, the most disruptive player for the other team. So I take it. I mean, on defense, we always – would talk about, you know, when you're taking on blocks or you're getting combo blocks, don't give up one for one. You're too good of a player to let one player block you. If he can do that 
to these talented elite defensive ends that their one job is to get into the backfield and either get your quarterback or get a tackle for a loss, then, hey, that does open up your offense quite a bit. Protect the quarterback and open up rushing lanes for your ball carriers. And to hear DJ talk about, yeah, we're going to run the ball more, at least that's the idea. Well, this was the 22nd best rush defense, rush offense a year ago. But a lot of that, Paul, is because this team played from behind. Yeah, and if you're playing from behind, you need to move the ball up and down the field, and that means the air game as opposed to the ground attack. What did the offensive linemen love? Okay, and now this is them talking, as you might imagine me and my 167 pounds. I've never played offensive line in my life, but every single offensive lineman loves to run the ball. They tell you they love to come off the ball. They love to go straight ahead. They love to dictate to a defensive front. And everything that we have learned from Jonathan Gannon and Drew Petzing is that, yes, that is going to be the Cardinals' philosophy. That is going to be their mentality. There's a reason why James Conner is still on this roster. There's been a lot of change, but they want the power back. Corey Clement, we talked to him yesterday, 5'10", 225. He hits the hole. He is a tough tackle. And so for everything that the Eagles and Browns did last year with that Eagles rushing attack, Nick Chubb and the, and the Browns and what Drew Petzing had there, that's coming. I think that is going, definitely going to be a signature element of this Cardinals offense. Well, do they have enough on that offensive line to run the ball with D.J. Humphreys, Will Hernandez, Kelvin Beecham? What do you do at the center position? Is Paris Johnson Jr. going to be your right tackle, right guard? Is he playing on the left side? Overall, that offensive line group, here's D.J. Humphreys on with Wolf and Luke on Monday. we got a, a, a good group of guys that's just like – great dudes that want to play football. Mm. So it's easy to mingle with the group. It's easy to interject young offensive linemen into the room and it'd be fun. I think the thing where I come in is kind of like get in the room to understand like the dynamics of the NFL. Yeah. You know, getting the young players to understand that like these other young guys that's coming in, you don't need to look at them as a threat. Like we're playing football. You need to focus on doing the, being the best version of yourself so you can do what you need to do when the evaluation time comes around. Interesting comments from Humphreys because he alluded to when he first came in, Paul, that he didn't have that warm reception as a first-year player. Now, as him as a veteran in that room, which I still think he is young, but yeah, he is the veteran in that room as far as longest tenured Arizona Cardinal player, period. That means a lot because now like a Paris Johnson Jr. comes in and there's a place at the table for you. He mentioned at one point during the interview that he had to work hard to get the word bust off his name because he didn't play as a rookie. In fact, he got a very unfortunate moniker from the head coach, Bruce Arians. And D.J. Humphreys, in hindsight, has said repeatedly he didn't really see it as a motivator when he was nicknamed Knee Deep. He thought it was an insult. He took that personally. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be a vastly different situation with Paris Johnson Jr. I do expect him to play. I do expect him to be a starter on week one at Washington. Now, maybe not. We'll see. I mean, I'm certainly not underestimating the, the beginning of the uh, the schedule. In fact, I asked D.J. Humphreys about that. One of my big takeaways about the first four games is, man, the Cardinals O-line better be ready to ball. And D.J. nodded his head, and he said half-jokingly, man, did, did we cheese somebody off at the league office? Like, you know, what, what are they doing to us when you were coming out against the Commanders and the Giants and the Cowboys and the 49ers right out of the gate? I mean, those are four of the toughest defensive fronts you're going to see in the league. Humphrey's talking about that welcoming approach, Kyle. It goes back to whether it was General Manager Monty Austin Ford at his introductory press conference saying, no egos we're going to leave our egos at the door. Jonathan Gannon always preaching team first. Well, individuals, yeah, you want 
those stats. You want that big money, but that all comes if you're winning together as a team on Sundays. Yeah, and I, you need, at every position group, you need that guy that is willing to lead and take young players under their wing. I, I mean, if I can go back to my rookie year, I was raw and I needed to develop. And I remember going to a vet and asking him a question, and he looked me in the eye and he said, why would I help you? You're trying to take my job. And that is losing football. Like, that is a horrible culture. That is the – you know, the thing I like about the makeup of this Cardinals team is it feels like there is enough leaders. There is enough people that are sick of losing, that are sick of the way the things have been done. They're willing to put in the work. They're willing to stay after practice. They're willing to spend extra time in the meeting room with young players because they understand how vitally important it will be to develop these players because we're going to need them. I mean, it's we're we're not the Philadelphia Eagles. We're not the Kansas City Chiefs where we are just – abundant in talent and game-breaking type players. But the great thing about football is if you have guys with the right mentality, you have guys with the right approach, guys that really dive into the game plan and prepare themselves, anybody can beat anybody on a Sunday. And if you're well-coached, if you're invested, if it's important to you and you're not making the same mistakes over and over, uh, then you can win games and you can you can be successful next season and it seems like i you know this team has enough of those guys and to hear that from DJ Humphreys about how he doesn't want it to be the way it was when he came in and he wants to help these younger players because he knows that will help the team ultimately win games more from DJ the advice that he plans to give and is giving young offensive tackle offensive lineman Paris Johnson Jr. You're a first round draft pick bro I'm going to tell you something about being a first-rounder. If you jump out hot and you ball, you're putting yourself in a position to have a career that is laid out for you. Mm. This is what I want to see from you. I said, but you don't know how hard it was for me to work to get that bust off my name. You got to really work hard to get that off of you. I said, I'm telling you, if you can just do that, focus on having your consistency as a young player, that's all you're going to need. It's going to carry you so far because all the other tools you have, you just need to be make sure you're being consistent in every phase. Again, having that veteran in that room, and it certainly sounds like DJ is going to put his arm around Paris and say, hey, don't do what I did, or let me give you an environment in which you can learn and flourish as opposed to perhaps maybe his own personal experiences as a rookie. Maturity. DJ said it in hindsight the year after his rookie year that he needed to mature. And I think Paris Johnson Jr. just comes in a more polished product. Uh, similar skill set, similar future. Uh, he can definitely be the guy who's going to get that big eight-figure contract you know, for the rest of his career like a DJ Humphreys. But look, to me, there's no reason why DJ Humphreys can't be your left tackle in the next three or four years and Paris Johnson Jr. couldn't be your right tackle. I, I had this out with Wolf. I'm like, what keeps Paris Johnson Jr. from being the next Tristan Wirfs, being an all-pro right tackle? In today's league, that's almost as valuable as a left tackle considering the way a lot of these defensive edge ends and these edge rushers are, are flip-flopping either side. So we'll see. I'm very curious. There's a lot of speculation right now. Paris Johnson Jr. is starting anywhere from left guard to right guard to right tackle. Well, when you talk about those edge rushers, though, Kyle, it's, yeah, you're protecting the quarterback's blind side, but the mobility and the athleticism of quarterbacks these days, I don't know if there really is a blind side anymore with these quarterbacks no that's true and that's what paris johnson jr his his athletic ability his ability to recover and stay with these elite athletes 
um, it'll be vital to this offense because what we know is Kyler Murray is so dangerous with the football in his hands. When he gets back out on that field, you've just got to stay with your man. You, you don't even necessarily have to dominate him. You've just got to stay in front of him and let Kyler give him time. And if he wants to take off with his legs, just stay on your man. Have yet to see where this offensive line together, what it might look like. And I'll say it again, Paul. I've said it repeatedly. Paris Johnson Jr. continues to line up right of whoever he's next to. Take that for what it is. Believe your eyes. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Snap to Smith. Drops back the throw. Pressure in his face. He's in trouble. And he goes down. He's sacked back at the 21-yard line. Cam Thomas, the rookie is there for the Cardinals to make the play. First career sack for Cam Thomas. Herbert back to throw on third down, in trouble, steps up, sacked again at the 44-yard line. This time it's Cam Thomas. Steps up in the pocket, gets hit, arm is hit, ball flutters, picked off by Simmons at the 40-yard line and tackled at the 37. Cam Thomas swiped at the throwing arm of Mac Jones. The ball fluttered into the air, picked off by Simmons. As a rookie, Cam Thomas, 18 tackles, three sacks, six quarterback hits, one pass defense in 17 games. The question is, what does he do in year two? As we say welcome back, it is the Cardinals Red Sea Report. We're presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. We do it every Tuesday, 11 a.m. It is year-round. Craig Rialu, Paul Calvisi, and Kyle Vandenbosch. And let's start this conversation with UKVB as far as the edge rush Outside linebacker position, Cameron Thomas, MyJ Sanders, your two draft picks last year. You got B.J. Ojolari, your draft pick this year. But that jump from year one to year two, whether you're talking about Cam or you're talking about MyJ, how big of a leap is the expectation for those two young edge rushers? Uh, my expectation's high, uh, particularly the way the season went last year. You just uh, covered Cam Thomas's statistics from last year, but – it shouldn't be spread out over the whole season because he really got a lot more playing time and was much more impactful on the last third quarter of the season and, and really became a quality contributor, making plays, getting in the backfield. Same with MyJ Sanders. Uh, early in the season, he didn't see the field much, wasn't making much of an impact, and became a regular part of the rotation late in the season. And so that experience, those game reps late in the season – that will serve them well, and that will be a reason why I expect them to kind of just pick up where they left off and make an impact early in this season. Listed at 267, although he says he's about 270, 272, which is what he played at at San Diego State, drop weight when he got to the Cardinals, now has brought that weight back up. But he mentioned, Paul, that he doesn't feel, even with that increased weight, that he's any slower. He feels just as fast and a lot stronger. If everybody wins the offseason like Cameron Thomas, then the Cardinals will be somewhere this year. To hear him tell it, he's had a heck of an offseason. He was on the Big Red Rage recently, and to your point, came in at 270, got down to 255 last year You know, based on where the Cardinals wanted him because he was in the outside linebacker room. But then he's built back up, and he's put on the 15 pounds that he lost, but he feels like it's a really good 15 pounds. He hasn't lost any of the agility, any of the explosion. He's much stronger, so I think 
think they have the ability. Kyle, you tell me. I know he's in the outside linebacker room, but as a five technique in certain pass rushing downs, he's got his hand in the dirt. He certainly has experience doing that from his San Diego State days. And even he said he had a body composition test this offseason, guys. And they said he could get up to 300 pounds if he so chooses, and it would be good weight. He, his body frame could handle it. So I'm curious, what is his future, not only this year, but in the next three to four years? Yeah, I mean, from what I – the limited tape I saw from him in college, I think he plays better, pass rushes better, tight on players, like as a five technique or even as a three technique because he uses his hands really well. He is strong, and he, he's powerful. You know, I think maybe last year that move to, you know, playing out in space, being really wide, playing outside linebacker, it was a little unfamiliar to him. He seems to do better in the mix because he uses his hands so well. So, um, you know, I, I'm guessing this was a conscious decision that he made not just for himself but with the coaching staff, like, where do you want me? How can I best be used? What what do you want my weight to look like? And, and he's doing that. And, you know, again, this is another – sign the Cardinals made a big investment into their strength and conditioning staff and their training staff and and you're starting to see it with some of their athletes particularly Cameron Thomas question about role something that we've always asked whether it was the head coach or an assistant coach but the role for Cameron Thomas upcoming here's the head coach Jonathan Gannon He's playing outside backer for us right now. Defensive ends and outside linebackers are kind of the same position for us. So like where he's at, he's um, a big, powerful guy. He's doing some good things on the grass with movement skills and different things like that. And uh, like where he's at. Could see him stand up. Could see him with his hand in the dirt. The question now is, as we transition to your guy, Paul, and that is Zayvon Collins, once again spotted working with the outside linebackers, the edge rushers, still listed at least on my personal position-by-position breakdown with the inside linebackers. I'm not quite ready to make that transition, although I'm getting closer and closer to your line of thinking because, one, there is a gigantic need at pass rush with this team. And it's just his size. You know, I mean, it's 6'4", every bit of 260 for Zayvon Collins to have the ability to play the edge, which he did quite a bit last year at times. Let's not forget, guys, out of necessity, he was out on the edge, both because of injury and in some different pass rushing schemes. Vance Joseph got a little exotic at times with different guys in different spots, and I think they liked what they saw on film. He has the size and the strength and the tenacity to hold the point and be good against the run, but then we know he can go sideline to sideline, so now why not just unleash him? after the quarterback and with that in mind I think they're going to go down swinging I mean they have a need at edge rusher they just lost half their sacks out the door in J.J. Watt and Zach Allen so they got to replace those somehow some way and to get a rotation of guys that now includes Zayman Collins off the edge okay I fully expect them to give this every chance to succeed throughout training camp size wise there's not a huge difference between Zayvon and Cam Thomas. They're the same height, and Cameron Thomas is just a little bit bigger by about, depending on what day you weigh them, maybe by between 8 to 12 pounds. But if you're just looking for the measurables, if one can do it, maybe you try another guy. Yeah, I mean, he's he does have all the measurables to be an edge rusher, a defensive end. He's, he's strong, he's fast, he's explosive. Um, you know, to me, he – 
even halfway through last season, there was still a question mark attached to Zayvon Collins about whether the light bulb would ever come on, whether you know he could be an impact player, whether he could live up to his lofty draft position that where the Cardinals took him, and then you, you know he started to really use his hands better. You know, we I, I know it was talked about a lot about keeping blockers out of his chest and not letting blockers get into him because he wasn't seeing things well, wasn't using his hands well, and really about midseason he seemed like he really became comfortable and started to use his hands well and was making more tackles and being a part of more plays and and that's a huge part of playing defensive line being an Ed's rusher is the ability to use your hands keep blockers off of you and when blockers do get on you to hit and disengage as fast as you can and he's shown that ability you know I didn't know if he had that ability uh, earlier in his career, but I think he can do it. And like to Paulie's point, you know, he did rush on the edge sometimes last year out of necessity, and it seemed like he was impactful just about every time he did rush on the edge. All right, I don't want to minimize the job requirements of playing the edge, Kyle Vandenbosch, okay, your former position. But just taking it off the plate of calling the defense and being the Mike linebacker like he was last year replacing Jordan Hicks, I mean, how much more is he able to just play and not think? Oh, it's huge. It's, it's, that's all of it. I mean, quite frankly, you know, the places I played where we had the best defensive lines, we didn't think about anything. We didn't know what linebackers were doing behind us. We didn't know what DBs were doing behind us. The coaches, and, and I have to imagine that this is how Nick Rollis and Jonathan Gannon want their defense to look. The coaches just want us to put our hands in the dirt and go and be disruptive and hit anything that moves and get in the backfield. And, and if you don't get a sack, hit the quarterback because the cumulative hits on a quarterback early in a game have a huge effect later in the game. And I think it will just free him up because you could see he had did. You're right, Paul. He had so much to think about. He had to worry about where everybody else is, making checks, getting calls, worry about his coverage, his drops, his gap assignments. Now, you put your hand in the dirt and you go. You got to think that he, if this is how they use him, he will feel liberated and just be able to put his hand in the dirt and and just you know make something happen. Give Zavin credit, according to head coach Jonathan Gannon, Zavin is willing and ready to do whatever is asked of him. He's doing a good job. What I love about Zavin is that's the type of makeup that you want in your players. Is coach, I'm willing to do anything that you want me to do to help the team. And when you have a bunch of guys like that on your team, you have a good chance to win. Don't forget that Jonathan Gannon and Nick Rollis just just unleashed the athleticism of Hassan Reddick. Cardinals fans know it all too well. Hassan Reddick is an inside backer. It's too much thinking. Always a half step slow. You would see him this time of year, Hassan Reddick, out on the field like, look at the athleticism. Look at the burst, the explosion. But you never quite saw it on game day at inside backer. As soon as they moved him to the edge... And he was thinking less and playing more and just using his instincts and going after the quarterback. Look at what happened in Hassan Reddick's career. I remember a quote in December last year, Jonathan Gannon to the media said, if I didn't drop Hassan Reddick into coverage so much, he'd have 25 sacks. And so I think that they're thinking Zayvon Collins might be someone similar. They can unleash that athleticism. Well, if you want to see Zayvon Collins in action this season, single-game tickets on sale now. Go to azcardinals.com forward slash buy tickets. That's azcardinals.com forward slash buy tickets to secure your seats today. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. With the 41st pick in the 2023 draft, the Arizona Cardinals select B.J. Ojolari, 
Linebacker, LSU. I love what Ojulari can do in the pass and run game. Uh, I think he's a very natural pass rusher. You can see his bend coming off the edge with speed. He can beat you with speed. He's very fluid and natural with his counter rushes. And then on top of that, he can stick a long arm in there and work moves off his long arm. So as far as his rush ability, very versatile, very natural. And then I love the tools that he has in the run game. How much will we see Ojolari this season? How much of an impact can we expect from the Cardinals' second-round draft pick. Certainly there is a need at edge rusher, and that is where Ojolari plays, and very productive the last two seasons at LSU. 80 pressures, second most in power five behind only Will Anderson, and as we just discussed in our previous segment, Paul, that there is a need at edge rusher, but to hear Nick Rollis talk about Ojolari, the ability to set the edge as well can't forget about the run game and the run defense if there were two reasons he dropped out of the first round if you believe the scouts one he wasn't as effective against the run supposedly allegedly as those picked ahead of him and there were four edge rushers who went in the first round three after will anderson and number two he had that hamstring injury that really hampered him throughout the offseason and it still wasn't 100 percent in his pro day so maybe some of the measurables weren't quite there and he couldn't work out like he thought but you know so that's that's nick rallis is bullish on his ability to stop the run we had bgo jolari in on the big red rage and he is hellbent on proving that he is stout against the run what i like to hear in some of these scouting reports kyle and you tell me is that he's varied in his pass rush skills he's not just a one-trick pass rusher that supposedly he comes in already with counter moves which a lot of times in my experience on a rookie pass rusher that's something you have to develop in your game apparently he's already there yeah that's huge it's huge I mean I heard I heard your interview with him and you talked about the hesitation rush and I mean to even for a young player to have developed that already that that's big I mean you know it's it's one of the things I wasn't a, a nifty or crafty pass rusher. I was just kind of a Marcus Golden, like stick your face in there and go as hard as you can and sacks will happen, right? And I loved watching Chandler Jones because he just had an array of pass rush moves and, and he would be setting things up in the first quarter to take advantage of this offensive tackle in the third and fourth quarters or or on a, a key third down. And, and to have the ability to do that is huge because – um, as much as I studied offensive linemen and offensive tackles, they would study me as well, and they would figure out what I did well. And if they stopped it, sometimes I was just at a loss. But when you have a variety of moves, a variety of different ways to win against offensive tackles, it, it really gives you a head start. Um, you know, as a rookie coming into the league, the the fact that he has he has done these things in college and experimented and found out what works for him. Um, you know, he can already dig into that tool chest and pull out the tools that he needs during when it when it's in crucial times of ball games. Let's switch it up over to the offense looking at the rookie class. What about wide receiver Michael Wilson, a day three pick, ninety fourth overall. How much of an impact can we expect from him? Let's hear from the rookie, Michael Wilson out of Stanford. Obviously they brought me here to make an impact, um, in some way, shape or form. I'm not gonna put a title on what that's going to look like and I believe whatever I get is what I'm going to earn um, and so if that's being a starting receiver that's great if that's being a special teams guy that's also great if that's being a, a backup receiver plus special team gunner role whatever role that I carve out for myself it's going to be completely dependent on what I do on the practice field how I carry myself in the meeting room 
love that mindset. You also have to love his height. Six foot two, same height as Zach Pascal. DeAndre Hopkins, whatever happens with him, he's six feet tall. So you need some you need some size in that wide receiver room considering what we've seen over the past several years. I mean he looks good. You know, he's a classic on air. He he looks good. He sounds even better. He's a great interview. He's a top five interview. He's very smart. Already has a degree in engineering from Stanford. He was a team captain. What I'm really intrigued to see is once they get pads on, supposedly he has a lot of juice after the catch. He can make guys miss. He can run guys over with his size. Uh, And he plays with a certain nasty at that receiver spot. So there's a lot to like so far. I, I know we're sitting here in May. But, man, you talk about an opportunity for a young guy to come in as a round three receiver. And remember what he said. He kind of went Clayton Toon in his interview when he said, quote, you got the steal of the draft. So he's confident in his own abilities. Hopefully the injury issues are behind him, whether it was the collarbone last year, foot injuries in 2020 and 2021. But not a fast guy when you look at his 40, but his 10-yard split is up there amongst the best. And then he benched. 23 reps which put him in the 96th percentile among wide receivers so there is not only that get off at the line of scrimmage Kyle but the ability to maybe get some separation as well well Anquan Bolden Larry Fitzgerald neither one of them blew you away with their 40 times but they were strong they were good route runners had tremendous hands and and were good with the ball in their hands after the catch so um, I'm not comparing him to them, but just the fact that he didn't blow anybody away with his 40 time, it's not a negative. I mean, wide receivers get open because of the routes they run, not just because of their speed. Bottom line, a lot of these draft picks, there were nine total. I think a lot of them, whether it's offense or defense, are going to be given the opportunity to make an impact sooner rather than later. Let's put a bow on this one. The Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. Special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, technical director, Cody Fincher. For Kyle Vandenbosch, Paul Calvisi, I'm Greg Riolu. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.